I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Nancy Reagan. Her new book is From Showing Off to Showing Up, An Imposter's Journey from Perfect to Present. In her first book, the former television broadcaster Nancy Reagan gives us a behind-the-scenes account of her experience hosting a news magazine with a daily audience of over a million people and interviewing some of the biggest celebrities in the world, all while studiously concealing fear, insecurity, and self-doubt. With remarkable candor, she describes how she created the illusion of having it all together because she didn't want anyone to know how close she was to falling apart. Featuring soulful lessons from her conversations with such luminaries as Oprah and best-selling author Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, and serving up some of her favorite practices for staying grounded in presence, she shares with us a powerful roadmap for living a more authentic life. She was the highly rated host of CTV's Atlantic Live at Five for 15 years, and as an actor, appeared in TV and film productions such as Haven, Trailer Park Boys, and and reversible errors. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Nancy. Catherine, thanks so much for having me. It's a treat. All right, so we're going to begin showing off to showing up. And this is, you're going to give us, I guess, this is a a memoir. So uh, give us, is it the formula for finding our authentic selves? And how how can we show up showing our authentic selves? What do we do? How is, let's learn from your lessons. I love that as a first question, actually, because (laughs) it was two days ago that someone said to me, this is a roadmap for everybody to really get real with themselves and others. And I took that as the greatest compliment I think I've received since it came out. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the title of the book because I think that's the easiest way into the subject. And for me, showing off is living my life according to other people's expectations, looking for praise, you know, seeking the good opinion of others. And showing up is what we did when we were kids, when we were present and we weren't worried about what everyone else was thinking around us and how they were judging us. Showing up is here I am, this is me, uh, take me or leave me. And it's a, it's a long way from one to the other, in my experience. And the writing of this book helped me get there, for sure. It was a book that was originally pitched as a, a book about the fear of public speaking. So it was supposed to be a how-to book. And when my publishers, they had said yes, and then they were keen to go, and they were seeing some of the stories that I was writing to support the, the subject matter, and they could tell that I was prepared to be vulnerable and talk about how I felt standing in front of a spotlight for so long and not actually feeling my own light, that they said, we think this should be a memoir. We think you should drop the public speaking. And if you can imagine someone with imposter syndrome, uh, that, that was a hard thing to hear because I immediately went into that imposter zone of who am I to write a book and why would anyone want to read my story? which I've now learned is most authors path into writing. Everybody goes through that. And it was a gift in a way because although they had to convince me, it really was a process of of writing the book that was like excavating my own 
psyche to some extent. When I coach people in public speaking, I say that the fear of public speaking, which most of us have, is if you dig beneath that, it's really the fear of public being, and beneath that is the fear of being seen. And if you keep on digging, beneath that is the fear of being seen as inadequate, and, of course, down at the very depths of that dark hole is this self-limiting belief that so many of us hold that we are not enough and we are inadequate. And our biggest secret is to prevent seeing the world from seeing that or having the world from seeing that. And that's where I was. You know, I was, I was doing a TV job where I was projecting this air of confidence every day but I had this negative chatter going in my head all the time. Oh, you made another mistake, and you're not good enough, and you don't belong here. You don't deserve this job. And I found that the more people shone a light on me, the more I felt like an imposter because the more I felt I didn't deserve that attention. So, and Nancy, I, wanna, now I, I just want to stop you there. because a lot of compassion for that younger self. Uh, I, because here you are, I think, what did you said? You're 15 years in the business, successful, all of those kinds of things, and yet you feel like you're not good enough. That's all the. Imp- I want to get back to the imposter syndrome because one of the things, mm-hmm. as you said, it's just difficult for you to accept your accompli- your accomplishments. And where does that come from? Because I think that's important. I think it, particularly with women, um, it is an issue. And I don't exactly know the statistics. You probably do, but women seem to suffer from that more than men. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, I think some of it, and I'd like you to respond to this because maybe systemic, I mean, we, we are in positions, you're, you're in the meet, you, you know, you started out and you were in the media and you were out there, but there's a lot of kind of systemic reactions to women's success. And so maybe some of it may be there may be a certain reality to it, you you know, that the the culture kind of uh, feeds on it, feeds on your, uh, um, the difficulty to accept your accomplishments and feel good about yourself and feel Mm -hmm. successful. I think that, I think that there are cultural implications for sure. I also think though that it's the human condition to some extent I think that we are, let me take it back to my um, metaphor of feeling my own light. I think that we are all born ablaze, you know, feeling our own light, whatever you consider that to be, whether it's, it's divine or if it's just full-on confidence. And then the world turns down that, it's almost like we're on a dimmer switch, and as children were told, behave, be quiet, be good, but very rarely are we or were we told just be, like be everything you are. So we learned as children that we were too much often. That was, all, you know, often the message to children in my generation, you're too loud, you're too this, you need to be less. And so your light gets dimmed a bit, you, t- you learn to be more appropriate in society, and then you get into your teenage years and you turn down your own dimmer 
because you don't want it. It's that tall poppy syndrome. You don't want to be noticed. And even in today's world of social media, I watch young women in particular, but a lot of, you know, teenagers out there on social media, but there's so much about performing and conforming. It's, it's not really allowing their true selves to be seen necessarily. It's like me, like me, like me. And when we don't feel our own light, we need desperately for other people to give us attention, to, to warm us up, if you will. And I think that uh, for people like me who maybe are slow learners, it can take decades to actually start to feel that inner light again and to say, oh, Maybe I am, maybe I'm okay. And maybe I need to figure out what it is that I don't accept about myself. Because to go back to that public speaking idea that if it's, if it's really that we're not so much afraid of public speaking, we're afraid of being seen by everyone as inadequate. Well, there is a, there is a translation to our lives. If, if you're backstage and you're standing there nervous about to go on, you're thinking about your performance. You're thinking about how people are going to perceive you or judge you. And there is some evolutionary kind of fear in there because, you know, when we were cave people, if we had had that many eyes on us, we were in trouble. Either we were in danger or we were being judged by the community. And I like to really help people sort of flip a switch to go from thinking about their performance, which takes them into a fight-or-flight state, and really focus on their contribution. So you're standing backstage, you're about to go out, what are you sharing? What are you giving? And that's very different than thinking about how you're performing. And Catherine, I believe that that really translates to our whole lives, because if we're living our lives always thinking about our performance and our, our ratings and reviews and how other people see us, then we're living a smaller life than we should, and we're not in the present moment. We, you know, we're either in the future worrying or we're in the past ruminating. And can we go to really- the? And I just I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I would like to go yeah. to the past because I think our childhood and our upbringing and yours is a memoir does affect all of what we've been talking about, you know, how confident you do feel, how self-accepting you are. So like maybe taking it back to your personal history or your family or the family dynamics that may have contributed to your feelings of, uh, of being an imposter. Well, I, I grew up in a family of, of politics. <laughs> so I know Americans um, have been laughing since my book went on sale in the U.S. two weeks ago. I've had a lot of interviews, and people get a chuckle out of my name, of course, because it's very similar to your former first lady, Nancy Reagan. And I'm, I'm Nancy Reagan. But I also grew up in a world of politics, and I learned at a very young age that you've got to be liked to be elected in that world. You've got to be liked in order to do well. And I think that also all kids are told from a very young age, you know, smile. When, when you take the picture, particularly in these days of social media, we take lots of photos and then we curate for the best version. And we want to show everyone, oh, look at this amazing life we're living. And we're putting on this social mask 
to say we've got it all together, even when we might feel like we're falling apart. And I believe that tells us from a very young age that this is how you have to mold yourself to be liked, to be approved of, to succeed in this world. You can't just be yourself. You have to be a shapeshifter. And, and that turns a lot of us into people pleasers as well because we, we want to keep other people happy. And we focus much more on their happiness and them being comfortable than ourselves. I really believe that in order to be able to show up fully in the world, you have to do that kind of Jungian work. Carl Jung talked a lot about the shadow. And I remember when I encountered it first in university in, you know, first year psychology and hearing that things that drive us nuts about other people actually are a reflection of parts of ourselves that we disown, that we don't want to admit to. And that's really what this book was built on for me because I had to figure out why I felt I needed to wear a social mask. And forget about the pandemic mask. Hopefully we'll be completely done with that soon. Um, But why I needed to conceal parts of myself, why I was so afraid of letting the world see the real me. And it was because, you know, I had, like everyone else, been through some trauma in my life. I had uh, been parented in a certain way to say, yes, this is how you have to be to be a girl, for instance. I was a real tomboy. And that's why, Catherine, I'm wearing Converse sneakers on the cover of the book because it's about... (laughs) taking that journey to get back to who you were before the world told you who to be and how to be. And in that way, I hope it's a roadmap for others. That's, that's the message I've gotten back from readers. I'm glad you wore those Converse sneakers. I had similar experiences as you growing up. Girls don't do this. Boys do this. You know, that patriarchal kind of attitude, which was in the family and as also at school and all the places that you've described. Uh, Was there a, I don't know, a defining moment or this is, it was a process or an evolution where you just said, you know what, this is, I'm, I've got to do something about this or I have to, you know, get it out there or, or, was was there a moment or was it just many moments it just evolved and like yeah you have to change there were, make changes yeah I, I i love that question there there were many moments and that's so often true for all of us so when we look back and we see oh that's interesting that moment that i didn't even realize was significant ended up being kind of pivotal and there were there were a number of them for me i had a a strange one when I was going into a suite at the Beverly Hills Four Seasons to interview Mel Gibson for the movie Braveheart. And he was, at the time, at the top of his game. This was before he had encountered a lot of troubles in his life. He was the producer, director, and the star of that huge film. And I was pacing the hallway, so nervous ahead of that interview, And I wouldn't usually let that show. You know, I was a good actor and I could convince people that I was very confident, but I was, I was wearing a (laughs) sort of, um, a worn spot in the carpet, a hole in the carpet in that lovely hotel because I was pacing like an expectant father or something. And my friends from Paramount 
was chuckling and saying, what is going on with you? You do these high-profile interviews often. Why are you so nervous? And I was like, it's Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went into the suite. It's all set up. It's a a movie junket, so it's all set up for all of the people who are interviewing the star and the producer and director that day. And as I was getting mic'd up, you just have that amount of time to say hello and to greet the star, in this case, Mel Gibson, who's sitting in the chair opposite. And I said, hi, and uh, I guess I said I was from Nova Scotia, and and he said, how are you doing today? And for some reason, I took off that, that faker mask I talk about, that mask of confidence, and I was honest, and I said, I'm actually feeling a little nervous. And he looked kind of dumbstruck, and he, he did the funniest thing. He said, oh, I can fix that. And he started poking his fingers in his eyes and put his finger in his mouth and made a bunch of funny faces. And then he looked at me in the eyes and said, there, you feel better? And it was a shocking moment in my life because I really did feel better. He had taken the air out of the balloon. You know, I was focused on performance instead of contribution, instead of just showing up. And he showed me in that moment that we're just two human beings. Like, we're the same. And, and then that really prepared me for my interview with Oprah that you mentioned at the beginning. Six months later, I went to Chicago to interview Oprah. She was uh, the opener for our show. She was our, our lead-in. And so I had the opportunity to sit on her stage. Can you imagine how mind-boggling that was? Yep. That's and intimidating. her. <laughs> But I was ready for it. If for the first time in my life, I showed up without that sense of, oh my gosh, I'm going to screw this up, or I'm not enough. And I had a really fun interview with her. I I'm, I'm, was just going to, uh, this week, I'm posting a couple of clips on my website of that because it was such a pivotal moment. And she ended up saying something in that interview when I asked her about how comfortable she was with her money, because as we all know, she came from really meager financial means and a very difficult childhood. And she said, she said, I said, you know, are you ever uncomfortable with your money? And I hope you don't mind me quoting her exactly, but she said, hell no, Nance. (laughs) She said, money is great. You can do all sorts of great things with it and you can change the world with it. But she did say that she always goes back to the quote, which I now know is a a biblical quote, from those to whom much is given, much is expected. And I think that's such a beautiful way to live your life, because we're all given a lot somehow, even if it's just our health. You know, we have more than someone else in the world. And if we can look at that and say, okay, so I'm here to give back. I'm here to contribute. I'm here to make a difference in the world. And my realization through this book has been the more we can get out of our own way and stop worrying about being judged, the more we can really show up and do something meaningful in the world to make other people's lives better. So, Nancy, would you say today you are comfortable with yourself? I mean, you've written this book. You've written the memoir. Uh, you, As I'm 
talking to you, as we're having this conversation, it feels like, wow, you know, Nancy really has it all together. Do you feel that way? <laughs> Have you? Oh, that's a <laughs> that's a loaded one. Yeah. Not every day, not every minute. Absolutely not. Okay, so not practice. every day, not every minute. What do you do day to day? Let's say 90% of the time, 85% of the time you feel, okay, I've, I've got it. I've done it. I'm doing it. But what about those days that, hmm, now I'm not so sure. Is that, what do you do? Well, How do you handle that? The, yeah, that's exactly where the subtitle comes in. Uh, an imposter's journey from perfect to present. Because I always was glass half empty before. I was seeing how imperfect I was. And, you know, it's almost like a, a scientist with confirmation bias. If you're looking for evidence of how imperfect you are, you will find it. And once you come to a place of showing up, you, you can look for evidence of how okay you are and how perfectly imperfect you are, because I, I absolutely accept that the things I didn't used to like about myself, for instance, my, my messiness, my lack of organization, and my, my messy mind, for that matter, because it's, it's always going uh, 100 miles an hour, I now can see those as part of the whole. So instead of seeing myself as just pieces, I can see myself as a whole person, and we are all paradoxes, I believe. I, I really believe we, none of us is all good and all bad. It's why, it's why the characters in movies and in TV shows who are complicated are really interesting protagonists because we are all complicated. None of us is, you know, just one thing or the other. And when we can see ourselves with that kind of self-acceptance, all of a sudden we can look at everyone else with that kind of a lens and stop being so judgmental of other people. And I honestly believe that if we can all do that work on ourselves to say, I'm okay, basically, and then we can see other people as okay, to, to borrow the term from that old book from the 70s, I'm okay, you're okay, I, I think that our world would be in such a better state because we live in this world where we are in duality all the time, this division of right and wrong. People are so, you know, whether it's politics or, or families or friendships or who knows, people are so determined to be right and not be wrong. And if we could just open our minds a little bit more to see other people's points of view and to understand that people, everyone sitting across from us, just like Mel Gibson was that day from me, is just another human being trying to do the best we can to get through this life. Like, I really think the human condition is that we all secretly worry we're not good enough, we're not doing it well enough, and the more we can bring ourselves into the present moment and shake that off, that's where we find the joy, because joy is not found in the future or the past, in my experience, it's it's only in the present moment. And well, uh, it, I you know, high achieving people. Uh, I like to I say, is, if we're high not achieving people in have, our lives, we're absent, and nobody wants to be absent for their life. High achieving people like yourself, though, I think, uh, and I go back to the statistics, uh, have uh, disproportionately are affected by what we've been talking about, and I'm calling it the imposter's syndrome. 
the expectations mm. for oneself are are higher or whatever the reasons are. Maybe you can address that because you are one of those high achieving people. And uh, and then obviously uh, feeling like you were an imposter. Uh, and I know for myself, I'm kind of the opposite. Maybe I'm not as high achieving as you are. I, my kids and my grandchildren, and my boyfriend are all like, you just think you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. You think you're greater than you are, or you, you think you're better looking than you are. And I say, you know, I always have felt that way, but but I realize it. So I, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing that in. But um, how were you parented? How was I parented? I, I mean, I mm-hmm. is that what was the question? Um, I was mm-hmm. parent. I always had a very supportive. My father was a talk about high achieving Harvard Law School graduate. Uh, d- attorney, uh, litigator. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, but they were, I think there was a certain conflict because women were supposed to do one thing and little girls were supposed to do something other than my brothers. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was always that push to, particularly with my father, you know, I, you know, if I was successful and I'm on the debating team and that's great and you're acting in your theater. So there was always that kind of like, uh, uh, praise that I got for being, you know, for achieving. And also, I think you mentioned this early, or earlier on in the interview for giving back. You have to give back, as you said. That's part of your responsibility growing up with all of the things that you've been privy to. So that's kind of just, mm-hmm. so it was, as you say, complicated, complex. It wasn't, but uh, yeah. I was but it sounds pre- like you got a lot of supportive messages. Yeah. Supportive messages. I think that's the that's the key word. Yeah. So I heard something years ago in a retreat that was another aha moment for me for sure, and it was this. It was the the things that you say to yourself, not you necessarily, Catherine, because it doesn't sound like you have a problem with this, <laughs> but for those of us who have negative self-talk, the things that we say to ourselves are actually things that were said to us by someone. And the moment I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I felt the truth of it. And the particular thing I thought of right away was a teacher in elementary school who I can still see hovering over my little desk in front of the whole class saying, Nancy Regan, you are the most disorganized child I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) And she was probably right, for the record, but even then, at that young age, I knew there was some part of my inner wisdom that was like, that is not okay for you to humiliate me like that. Yeah. And I did feel humiliated. I, I actually walked out the classroom, didn't look back, walked out the front of the door and ran like heck all the way home, um, which was unlike me because I was the kid who was always looking for gold stars. But I just knew that that was wrong. And even though... I, so I maybe that was stand. your, defi- I'm going to interrupt you because we have a couple minutes left, but maybe that was your defining moment. That was the defining I moment. I think in you some gotta- ways it was, but then yeah. I had to get back to that. It took me a long time to get back to that, and that's where I am now. But those words scarred, and so many of us have had little things or big things, big traumas, scar us, and, and we live with them today until we deal with them. Exactly. And that's what your book is all about, from showing off to showing up, an imposter's journey from perfect to present. Nancy Regan, give it, we need websites and or websites uh, to go to for more information about the book and about you. 
Yeah, great. Thanks so much. My uh, First of all, I'll give you my, my Instagram is Nova Scotia Nancy. I always have fun like with that, that because that's where I live. And my website is nancyregan.ca. So it's Canada, so it's .ca instead of com. And Regan is R-E-G-A-N. And the book is From Showing Off to Showing Up, and it's available on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, or you can order it through your local bookstore. It's always great to support local bookstores. And I just want to say thank you so, so much. And thank, thank you for how you're showing up, Catherine. It <laughs> thank makes, you. It makes a big difference This was a great conversation. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 